Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, guess what? Thanksgiving is in the rear view mirror. Christmas is on the front dashboard. Again, none of you are excited. I have my work cut out for me today. Well, here we go. We have a, a two-part series. Actually, I should tell you as well, my uh, Christmas message, there's always one message I try to prepare every year. It will be on the 18th. It will not be on the Christmas Eve uh, service. will be short, an abbreviated service. So it's only really about an hour, uh, just so you know. Food for thought there. Well, this is the first Sunday of Advent. How many of you kn- uh, knew that? First Sunday of Advent. And Advent is... The four weeks, Sundays, leading up to Christmas, to the 25th. So this is the first one, and it's a little unusual. I guess Thanksgiving fell a little bit early this year, and Christmas falling on that Sunday. So here we are. And as a preacher, I've said this many times before, this is really my favorite time of the year to preach. And I know you'd say, well, I would think it would be more around Easter. It's not, there's just a building that takes place during an Advent as we move closer towards the incarnation and we get to that point and everything hits a crescendo, there's just something about this time of the year. And I wanted to start by talking about the fact since Christmas and the spirit of Christmas is starting. And for some of you, this is the first time you're hearing anything. You're starting to hear songs, right, on the radio. You haven't probably watched any, you know, Christmas movies or shows, I would think. But here I made a list. I just sat down and said, let me make a list of things that we need to do. So you ready for this? You ready for the list? Okay. Well, we have to start shopping for gifts. Anybody who started shopping already? Some of you did. All right. You have to uh, get a tree. If you already have a tree, you're going to have to decorate your tree. You have to put up decorations. You have to bake enough cookies and treats, right? You're going to have people around. That's going to be important. You're going to have to gain weight over the, you know, the average person. The average person will gain between eight and 10 pounds during the Advent season. I just thought I'd throw that out there. You have to wrap the gifts. You have holiday parties, right? You're excited for all those that are coming up. You have a lot more cooking aside from the cookies. You're going to have to gain a little bit more weight, all right? You're going to have to send out Christmas cards. And then the three, my three most frightening words during Advent, the Christmas season, some assembly required, right? You're going to have to face relatives you don't get along with. Hopefully you got along with them on Thanksgiving. This is a, a very interesting holiday season. Hopefully everyone was behaved. Uh, fighting all the traffic. Hearing grandma got ran over by the reindeer and rocking around the Christmas tree for the 150th time, right? By the time Christmas Eve comes, you want to turn the radio off because you've heard all those songs way too many times, right? You have kids with their holiday programs at school. You have to figure out whose house to celebrate holidays and how to celebrate with each set of parents so you don't offend one of them, right? That's important. You have to untangle all the Christmas lights. The Christmas lights, a lot of times in my house, they just don't work, right? You have to try to remember everyone to buy the gifts for and you have to get all this done by December 25th and then after December 25th you get to pay off your credit cards are you ready for Christmas in here on three one two three Christmas yeah yeah I see your faces you're like oh man what would the holiday season be though without stress right what would this season be And it's kind of ironic, interesting when you think about the time of the year that we're supposed to really reflect and it's supposed to be blissful, right? Is the time of the year when we're more stressed out. 
Come on, give me a time of the year you're more stressed out than you are during the Christmas holiday season. No, I don't think so. I think that's just the way it is. And it's the time of the year too. I don't know about you. I feel kind of inadequate at this time of the year. I go on Facebook and I'll see pictures of families, right? And parents will talk about their kids that get straight A's. They never do anything wrong, right? Or you get those newsletters, right? People talk about they send their dogs on short mission trips. You see families, right? They, they go to Hawaii on vacation. They have matching white linen outfits. Everybody gets along on vacation. And I want to puke, right? It's a little depressing this time of the year. It can be. I feel kind of inadequate. I think about my life and home and I'm just trying to keep my head above water and just trying to raise kids. And you think about how arduous it really is. And this is a tough time of the year. Stressful. And I think about 2000 years ago, the world in which Jesus entered. And you know what we do? You're going to hear me say this a couple of times in the message. I think we as a people, we condescend. And we condescend, meaning we look at these people from 2,000 years ago in, in, the, in the nativity story, and we look at them and say, I would give anything to live in that time. Look at my world and look at my life and look at how difficult it is. Those people had it easy. How many of you would admit, show me, you've thought that before when you've read the Christmas story, or you think it right now? <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, the rest of you are lying. I saw about six or seven hands. All right, true, come on. We look at their lives and go, man, that was much easier for them. Can we just move through a couple of pieces of the Christmas story and then get to one part of it that I've never really preached on before, or just the topic, and I want to leave you with something, and, and hopefully you, you get into that spirit. I'm just going to even pray before we get into the text. Lord... Lord, I thank you that though the flower may fade and the grass may wither, I thank you that your word will stand forever through the test of time. It has been knocked. It has been beaten. It has taken a licking. But Lord, I thank you because it keeps on moving ahead. People have tried to denigrate it and disparage it, but it is foundational truth. It is real. It is not a fable. It is not full of fairy tales. The word of God is real and it is living. Lord, I ask that the Christmas story would come alive. Lord, for tired eyes. Lord, where people are complacent, where people have been here before. I've read the story before. I know what happens in the story. Lord, I ask that you would give us new eyes to see your spirit as it moves. Lord, I ask you to give us new eyes to see the glorious incarnation where you came from upstairs and you came downstairs. Lord, help us to see that you're a warring God. Father, you started all the way back when Lucifer in heaven wanted to be God and he wanted to sit on the throne. You excommunicated him out of heaven. You sent him down below to the earth and that was to be his domain. You rule over everything, but you send him down here. And then we know as man fell in the garden, Lord, but you weren't done, even though man fell and we fell with Adam when he fell in the garden. Lord, I thank you that you said, I'm going to send in a D-Day operation. I'm going to set out a mission. I'm going to come myself. 
You know, Lucifer, I kicked you out of my house. Now I'm going to come into your house. I'm going to come into your turf. I'm going to take the battle to you. But it didn't look the way the world thought it was going to look. You came much differently. You came in the form of a baby. You came in the form of a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And it was dirty and it was dusty and it was smelly. But that's where we found you. Oh, Lord, help us to see this Christmas story. Lord, I thank you that you take the foolish things of the world and you confound the wise. The world's wisdom, the world thinks it knows and understands. And you constantly take foolish things. You constantly laugh at man and all his attempts to sit on the throne and to say that we are God. You alone are God. I thank you as we heard in those songs. I thank you that every knee will bow and every tongue will ultimately confess that you indeed are Lord. You are the Alpha. You are the Omega. You came as a lamb, but you're going to come roaring back as a lion. Lord, I thank you that you are indeed coming again, that the Christmas story points to a second coming when your feet will come down on the Mount of Olives. Those days, that day, that wondrous day is coming indeed. It is awaiting. Lord, may we be an expectant people. May we have oil in our lamps, Lord, like the virgins. Lord, may we not come to the door and we try to knock on that door and you say, you didn't prepare. Lord, make us a prepared people. May Christmas show us as we move through these four weeks leading up to the day, the moment when we celebrate your birth. Lord, help us to wake up. Amen. Amen. Sorry for the long prayer. Well, here we are in the story. I just, again, I just love the Christmas story. I want you to be with me. You have to see yourself too. When you read, I would ask that as you move through the Advent season, why don't you read the Christmas story yourself? Get reacquainted with the characters. Feel what it was like. Put yourself, immerse yourself in the story. See yourself actually there and see what God will do for you. I was actually, in, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but I read Tim Keller's latest book. It's, it's about Christmas. It's called The Hidden Christmas. And in there, he had one story that was, that was really good. He was talking about when he was a young man, he was at some conference. And somebody, it was around Christmas time, And the person that was leading this conference had them sit there and they had one verse from the Christmas story. They had to make 30 observations in 30 minutes. And he talked about how after like 10 minutes, he's like, I'm done. I'm done. He made like 15 observations. He's like, I've exhausted this text. And he said by the time the person actually stopped after the 30 minutes and maybe he had a couple of more after that. But he couldn't believe listening to what everyone else had said around the room. One verse, 30 minutes, and he saw the story. A man that's a quite a gifted preacher. He saw the story in a light he had never seen before. You can pick any book you want in the world that has ever been written. The Bible is the only one. Every time you read it, you can see something new. You can never exhaust it. It's the only inexhaustible book in existence in the world today. It's the only one. Why don't we read it? We don't read it. Many of us will not sit down and even read the Christmas story this year. I beg you, I implore you, please sit down this year with the story. And look what it says here and talking about getting back to what I originally was was talking about, the stress. And the stress for the first two characters, Mary and Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You've, all, you've read this. You've seen this before. You know this part of the story. But just imagine again how stressful this would have been for a 13 or 14-year-old girl. That's, and I've said this before in the past, but it bears repeating. That's what scholars say. That's probably about how old she was. How many 13 and 14-year-olds do I have in the room right now? Can you imagine the weight of the world being put on your shoulders? And there she is, right? She tells this man that she's betrothed to, the man that she's supposed to marry, Joseph, that I was visited by an angel. And what's Joseph's response? Joseph's like, really? How long am I going to play this game? Can I also say to you, right? They probably, there was a time these two didn't even talk. You can't tell me after this happens and he doesn't believe her before the angel visits Joseph. You can't tell me there's not a time where it's tumultuous. There's a lot of tension. But again, we read the story and go, oh, yeah, everything just kind of worked out. And it was fine. And she just kind of knew. Wrong. Totally wrong. And you go on there. Look, but after he had considered Joseph this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know about you. I said this to Megan last night. I said, Megan, try this on. So you come to me. We're engaged. You come to me to tell me something. I, of course, this is really big. But Joseph doesn't listen to his fiance, right? Doesn't listen to the fiance when an angel comes to visit him and tell him, then he believes. Can you imagine going back to Mary? How would that have been for their relationship? I don't know about you, man, if you're married in here, but if I chose not to believe my wife, but I'm going to believe the angel, that's probably not going to bode too well for me. Right? How many of you women, you'd be pretty upset by that. So here is Joseph in the story, right? And he's looking at it. He's going, okay, I guess now I'm going to change my mind. Obviously an angel's visiting you. That'll kind of have that effect. And you also have to see here what's interesting in ancient Galilee. This was kind of a rural area and being a rural area, they were a lot more intolerant or strict when it came to sexual promiscuousness. So in this area, it would be like, you live in New York, right? What is New York? What kind of state is New York? I'm not getting into politics, but New York is a pretty liberal state, right? So this would be like going to the Bible Belt in a state down there. Pick any state you want that is more conservative. That's kind of what Galilee would have been like. So when this story is taking place, you have to see this is a conservative area that the stress that they have on their shoulders because people are whispering. People are talking about who they are and what they did. Oh, that's the one over there. Oh, he's not really the father. And the word goes out and it goes viral and people continue to talk. And then look what it says in 2.13. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, moving forward. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother after the baby is born, right? And escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Just little pieces. This crazy, you know, egotistical, maniacal ruler, Herod, that wants to take them out. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Please don't come up to me and say how stressful your holiday season is without understanding the first Christmas and the characters in the story and how stressful their lives in everything that they had to do. 
They had to go to Egypt, right? Did you remember what happened in the Old Testament when the children of Israel, right, were leaving the bondage? Where were they leaving? They were leaving Egypt. So here they are in the story, moving ahead, a different part of God's whole story, and they're moving to Egypt. Now, how many of you have heard, if you want to talk about stress, right? How many of you know the Holmes Stress Scale? Has anybody ever heard of that? Two psychologists from 50 years ago, they came up with what is known as the, as, as the stress scale. If you reach 300 points, all events get points. If you reach 300 points, there is an 80% chance, likelihood, that you will have a major physical problem. Did you hear how many points I said? 300. So you know what I did. I sat down this week... And I evaluated, I went over the whole list. Would you like to see? Okay, let's go on a little journey. All right, here you go. Okay, marriage. They get married, right? That's 50 points. How many people, right? Stressful to get married. Yes. Loss of job. Joseph loses his job. That's 47 points. Oh, no big deal. We're already at almost 100, right? Only two things. This is a short list. I I didn't put the whole everything on there. I just picked a couple. How about pregnancy? Yeah, yeah, that's another 40 points. Great. Life's just beautiful. Everything's going really well. Financial strain, right? Joseph lost his job. Where are they going to get money, right? So there's a lot going on with that. Then we have number five, no reservations at the end. We'll put, that's not really on the list, but I just kind of threw that in there. I, I made that up. 35 points has to be a minimum of 35 points. Number six, change in residence too. They have to flee. They're going to Egypt. Add another 30 points for that. That's on the list. In-law troubles. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Okay, that's going to be a problem. That's 29 points. Number eight, personal achievement. They gave birth to the Son of God. That's pretty good, right? That's number eight. Uh, number nine, major holiday. Christmas is uh, invented, all right, because of them. So we had 12 points for that. And then number 10, I don't know, targeted for death by an egomaniacal king. Maybe you could add 100 and something points to that. Here's what we have. I had anywhere around 400 points, not just the points up here. All the points I added up, 400 points. We don't think about it. We just think about our lives. Again, we condescend. We think that they were primitive people. They were just naive. Life was so easy for them. I'm sorry, friends. It wasn't. And that's why I want to kick off Advent, the Christmas season for you, by first making you cognizant of this fact. As you walk through the story, as you hear it, as you hear music, as you see something on TV to reflect and go back, what must it have been like? And I have to imagine there is Jesus as a, as a young kid. What does every kid want to know? You want to know your birth story, right? your birthday, right? comes about. You want to know your birth story. There we were on Friday. Oh, no, Thanksgiving on Thursday. And we were going to see my father-in-law in the hospital who's recovering. Thank you for all your prayers, well wishes, and all that. He's doing really well. So we went to, we're going to the hospital and we had Jameson with us. So we're going to St. Charles. And then mommy proceeds to tell Jameson, Jameson, do you know where this, what this place is? And he figured, you know, oh, this is where I was born, right? So she proceeds to tell him a little bit about that story. Of course, privately, a little bit later on, I told him about my story when she was dealing. I, I, I'm not sharing the whole story now. I've shared it before in the past. But if you don't know, my wife is giving birth. 
I'm in Mather Hospital across the street because I was bitten by a tick and I have Lyme disease. And I proceed to tell him how I had to crawl out of the hospital. I left, I crawled out of a window and I'm on all fours and I had to crawl to St. Charles Hospital and I was dirty and I made my way in there and they tried to arrest me, but I ran into that room and I saw mommy give birth to you and I held you and I changed your first diaper. I'm making all this stuff up, but... Right? Invariably, you want to know your story. So imagine, what was it like for Mary and Joseph when they'd sit down with Jesus and they would tell him his story? What was that like, friends? You really think about that? Imagine those moments in Mary saying, oh, this is what happened. And, and, and Joseph, he's really not your dad. And this is how the story came about. We just think again that Jesus was born into the world and he was fully enlightened and he knew everything. No, I think he grew into some of this. And as a young kid, there is a mom and there's, I picture her with him on her lap. And she's talking about, yeah, there's a king and, you know, Caesar over there in Rome, but he's not the real king that you, my, my, my son, the one that I love, you are in fact the next coming king. What was that like? What were those conversations like? Think about the stress. And friends, here's the point. Here's the part I want to focus on. You know what I've never preached about in all my years of preaching here? I've never preached on the virgin birth. And you may go, what? The virgin birth? That's what I'm going to hear about this morning? I would say we live in a time where Christianity is is under attack. Do you not see that? Do you not feel that? I want you to go into work tomorrow and talk to somebody. Just pick anybody and start talking to them about the virgin birth. And watch the reaction that you'll get on that person's face. They may mock you. They may laugh at you. Maybe they'll be nice to you. But I would think that a lot of people you talk to in the world, I couldn't believe the numbers and the percentages that I saw different studies. Some studies say as many, up to 40% of people in American society do not believe the virgin birth is real. They believe it's a touching story. Oh, it's a great story. It's, it's, It's very touching, but it's not real. How do people base their lives on that? It's kind of a crutch. That's kind of what religion really is. It's just a metaphor. It's great. It's a metaphor. It's a cool little story. And a lot of times what happens is people get confused about the nativity story. People get confused. And maybe you're here this morning and you're confused about the Christmas story. And it's almost like, you know, we live and we, we associate and we, we, we tether like things like uh, Rudolph and Santa Claus. Those stories, the same kind of way. Oh, it's a cute little story. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? And it's on TV and your kids love it, right? Or uh, you pick any of these other stories from this time of the year that people look at. And we look at those stories and people get confused. Speaking of getting confused, there was a little girl. She, uh, it's, it's Christmas service at her church. And she leaves uh, Sunday school. The service is over. And she sees her mom in the sanctuary. And she runs over to mom and she's holding this drawing, this piece of paper with this drawing that, you know, she, she made during the time that she was out. And she's, mommy, mommy, you have to see this. Gives the picture to a mother. A mother looks at the picture and she's kind of like shocked and stunned by it. She's looking at it and she sees an airplane with all these people. An airplane. And she's like, oh, honey, um, uh, w- what is this? Who, who are these people on this airplane? What is this all about? She, and the kid looks at her mom, silly mom. This is, this is the Christmas story. So the mom says, all right, honey, 
who is, who, who is this person over here? Oh, mom, first of all, you have to understand. You see, why is it an airplane? It's an airplane because they had to take flight and go to Egypt. So they're in Egypt over here. She's, the mom's like, who's this person at the front of the plane? Oh, that's Pontius, the pilot. He's at the front over here. Um, who is the big man in the back of the plane? Who's this really big guy that's in the back? Oh, that's round John Virgin. <laughs> little kid totally some of you didn't get it you know round yon virgin okay okay i thought it was really cute and there we are right like there's this little kid and she's totally confused by the story and i think in our day that's what a lot of people have they have confusion about the story they think they know the story but they really don't know the story you know when you walk through history how about thomas jefferson one of our founding fathers who was a deist i've mentioned this to you before that he had his own Bible, right? None of the, all the miracles that were ascribed to Christ, I told you, did not put them in there. Thought Jesus was a great teacher. He was a deist. So he believed in the existence of a God, but God was kind of like a clockmaker. He made everything and then he was like, peace out, I'm done, right? That's what he, that's how he looked at the world. That's how he looked at Jesus. This is what he said about the virgin birth. I've never shared this before. Here it is. He said, the day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus by the supreme being as his father and the womb of a virgin will be classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva and the brain of Jupiter. You don't even have to know who they are. Just uh, You can see here. Did his mind, he could not wrap his mind around the virgin birth. Thought it was totally crazy. Again, thought Jesus was an amazing teacher. How about this? This is verbatim. Quote from an official of a denomination, which shall remain nameless, anonymous, but it is one which you're all familiar, okay? It refers to the virgin birth and offers explanation of the leaders and theologians of this particular denomination, what they believe. Ready? There is a diversity of opinions on the issue, but there remains a diversity of opinion over whether there should be a diversity of opinion. Talk about putting a stake in the ground. This is what people, this is a denomination that you would know. Are you kidding me? I would put before you, if you don't believe the virgin birth, how can you really be a Christian? Like, how does that make any sense? It doesn't make sense. You have to go there. You have to give a cent. You have to understand and see this part of the story as real. And you know what's wild, too? I I read this this past week, and I, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was really interesting. You know all know Larry King, right? Larry King, one of the greatest interviewers ever. He was once asked, if you could interview one person from history, anybody, and you could ask them one question, what would it be? And King said, that's easy. I would interview Jesus Christ. And the one question I would have is, is the virgin birth true? And the reason is because that's the hinge of history. The hinge of history. If this is true and Jesus actually went to the cross from the, gra- from the cradle to the grave, he, if he went to the cross and all that's true, that truly is the hinge of history. And when you look at ancient religions... Right. Nobody. Look at Greek mythology. Look at Roman mythology. You see people like Hercules. Right. These larger than life figures and Perseus. You see these figures. I want you to understand something. How did they come about? They were the offspring of one of the gods and one of the gods would would get together with one of the women here on Earth. And they would intermingle and they would have these individuals. You have to understand something. This story, this Christmas story is so different than any of the ancient tales that were ever told. You never saw weakness. 
And then you want to see some of the, I mean, going back to the Greek mythology, you look at people like Zeus. Zeus's wife, his goddess wife, was always jealous of him because he, was, he had impulse control problems. He was always down on earth and he was always looking to and fro and he was always hooking up with different women. This religion, Christianity, is so different than anything else we see. And you look at this story too. How about Luke's gospel? Luke is a doctor and he's a historian. Stay with me. He's a doctor and a historian. Look what he says in the beginning of the book. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word deliver them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Here is a guy who was a meticulous historian. And he looked at it, and you could see other places where there were eyewitnesses. This guy went out, other people went out, and they looked for people that were with Jesus, people that knew the story. This wasn't made up. This is not something people like Jefferson would say. As time went on, that legend accrued, and myth grew. And as later generations went on, they embellished more, and they exaggerated, and they made up more parts of this story about who Jesus was, the virgin birth, and then how he died in an empty grave. And I could give you a lot of other quotes from other people that also said this. And then look at 2, verse 1. Luke 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And how interesting, right? We see we get the geographical setting of, of uh, Bethlehem in Judea. We get a chronological setting. We get details about the naming of Jesus by his father, Joseph. We get the circumcision of Jesus. We get purification rites from Mary. When she went to, I mean, the list goes on and on of things, how these gospel writers painstakingly, they took every effort to try to show and prove that this was not some fairy tale that was concocted, that this was real. This happened at a moment in history that Jesus Christ came into the world. God came incarnate in that form in a manger. And these guys want you to know it and they want you to understand it. And as Jesus grew up, right, you look in the gospels and you look at what he said, the remarkable things that he said and the things that he did. Never he forgave sins. Look what he says here in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. He says this and you think about all the rabbis in his day, how they were steeped in the Torah. And you followed the Torah and you followed tradition. Can you believe that one would say this? That Jesus would walk the face of the earth and heaven and earth will pass away. But my words by no means will. They will stand forever. Can you understand what he was saying to the religious establishment? He was saying to them, I am God. Not I am a representative. I am no longer a prophet. There was a 400 year window of emptiness. Of nothing was spoken. But now he bursts on the scene after John the Baptist. And he's showing... And he's proving who he is and who God is. Make no mistake about it. There's an ancient rabbinic saying, right? And the ancient rabbinic saying says this from a rabbi. Where two sit together 
and the words of the law are spoken between them, the Shekinah rests between them. The Shekinah was the glory of God in the Old Testament. So the Shekinah, the actual glory of God rests between them. That sounds kind of familiar to something. This predates Jesus. This sounds kind of familiar to something Jesus once said. He said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Do you understand people that understood the Torah, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when they heard him say things like this, they knew what the Torah said. They knew what the Old Testament said. They knew what he was saying. And he was saying, this is, I am God. Who was this man? Who was Jesus? He was indeed God. He was fully God. He was fully man. And he came down to bring the truth. Did you know, actually, in the Quran, did you know in the Quran, Muslims believe the virgin birth? They believe the virgin birth. Probably many of you didn't know that. They believe the virgin birth, but they believe that Jesus was a prophet. He was a great prophet. He's not the greatest. Muhammad is the greatest prophet. But in Islam, they would say that. And they look at... Do you understand what God is doing? God is coming from up there, down here. Do you understand how mind-boggling that is? Do you understand that God likes to be found alive? He likes to take the foolish things of this world and say, you think you know how things operate? You think you know how I work? You think you can put me in a box? I'm going to break out of every box you try to create. I'm going to box all your theology and I'm going to make you look stupid. Can I give you an illustration of how to teach this picture? I want you to think of it this way. So I have my two boys, right? Davis and his seven, and no one was two. When we get, what's wrong? It's dead? It just died? Great. I'm just going to leave this in. It's never happened before. A couple of weeks ago, the PowerPoint didn't work. Well, my, well, I didn't have my PowerPoint. Now I have this. Good. Is it on? All right. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Jameson is seven and Nolan is two. And it's, it's really interesting because a lot of times, and you know this as parents, I'm giving you this story because I think you can relate to it. What happens a lot of times, Megan and I are getting ready, we're upstairs and we're getting ready for work. And if both of them are up at the same time, invariably, Nolan will probably start climbing on Jameson. And I start hearing, and then he starts to laugh. And then I hear Jameson, come on, Nolan, stop, Nolan, stop it. And then Nolan starts to cry, right? What do I do from the top of the stairs? I start yelling down, you need to get along with your brother. That's Jameson. That's Nolan's toy. You can't have that toy, right? And if I keep saying this and things do not improve, what happens then? Well, my words are not good enough. And what I have to do is I actually have to go downstairs in the flesh and settle the dispute that they have with each other because my advice from upstairs is not good enough as I send it downstairs. If in case you didn't get the metaphor in the illustration, God the Father looked at the world and he said, I have to go from upstairs, I have to go downstairs. And I had prophets, but the only way I can do it is by sending myself. Who does this? 
I don't, you know, you, you have to understand something. I don't care if you walk out of here and think this sermon's terrible. I really don't. All I care about is that you look at God and this amazing story and you see that the God that is up here left his reputation and Jesus said, I'll get up. I'm I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. He left all the gold roads. He left eternity. He leaves the portals of eternity. He steps out of eternity, the portals of glory, and he steps down. This is the seed of Abraham. This is the root of Jesse. All of the burning bushes and the kinsmen redeemers, they were all pointing to this one, Jesus Christ. And here he comes 2,000 years later. And the enemy, Lucifer and his minions, they tried to stop him, but they couldn't stop the seed from getting to Mary's womb. Do you understand? He took on the flesh of Mary inside the, the, the wardrobe, the dressing room was inside of her womb. He takes on that flesh. Do you see again where he's actually born? In the smelly manger, sitting there. Just feel it. Smell it. How dirty it is with swaddling cloths. He could have been born in a palace. He could have been born in a cathedral. He could have been, there was no doctor there. There was no midwife there. There was no bottle there. This is your Christmas story. It's made to blow your mind. Think of it this way, too. How about this? What if somebody said, we live in New York, okay? We're not far from Madison Avenue. What if we went to Madison Avenue and we said, okay, we have a person. We're an advertising firm. We have an individual here. Help us so that 2,000 years later, Almost everybody will know this person's name. That's the advertising campaign. You with me? Okay. Madison Avenue, 2,000 years later. want everyone to know. You tell me that somebody in Madison Avenue, an advertising executive, would stand up and say, I got the idea. I I know exactly what we're supposed to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take somebody, okay, we're going to send them to a manger, a dirty old place that smells like manure and urine. Think about whatever refuse you want to put in there. Yeah, let's start right there. Okay, and as that baby gets a little bit older and he becomes an adult... We don't want him to associate with any, you know, political organization. We don't want him to be a ruler. We don't want him to get involved really in politics. None of that. We want him to hang out with the, the, uh, the excluded and those that are marginalized. Let him hang out with the people in the lower socioeconomic classes. Oh, oh let him teach for a couple of years. He can perform some miracles. That'll be great. But let him be disgraced three years later. Let him die on a cross. That's my plan. And guess what? 2,000 years later, three quarters of the planet know that name. One quarter of the people on the planet today will follow the life and teachings of that one Jesus Christ. Because again, if you haven't heard it, I'm saying it again. God likes to confound the world's wisdom. Nobody in their right mind would make up a story like this. You would never show weakness like this. This is your Christmas story. This is it. This is the advertising campaign. This is the way things are supposed to go. And there is a chasm. You have to see there is such a chasm. You see, the Muslims understand it. Islam gets it right. There is a chasm between us and God. But just by our good deeds and being good, that's not going to get us over the line of that chasm. God is perfect. 
The only way to get over there is to put your faith and hope and trust on the one who was born in that manger, but then grew up and went to a cross. Will you look at this symbol? Look at this symbol. It is the most recognized symbol in the world today. Who would take a symbol of death like this and turn it into the moniker, turn it into what everyone should look at, what the whole movement is all about, what the revolution is all about? That's what Jesus Christ did. And you know what? You know what's interesting, too? I think we, again, we we look at Mary, and we think that the angel came to her, and in her worldview, she just accepted it and said, This is Christmas. This is great. Wow, this is wonderful. Just what I expected. Please don't insult these people that lived 2,000 years ago. Don't insult the mother of Jesus, Mary. Don't insult Joseph. These people, when they heard this, they were confounded, too. And it was hard for them to really accept. They wrestled with this part of the story. It wasn't just so easy for them. People were people then, just like people are people today. Yes, we live in different worlds. Technology and everything. These were still people. This was still a paradigm shift for everybody that was a character in the story. And you live in a world that is in disbelief. We live in a world that is in disbelief. The majority of people, you're here today. I don't know. There are probably people there. You don't even maybe believe the story. You think it's a metaphor. You think it's a fable. That's okay. We love you and accept you that you're here. But all I would say to you is, as somebody that studies history and studies, I, I look at a lot of the archaeological studies and digs as they pertain to the Word of God, and there's a lot of secular history that corroborates what you read in the Bible. A lot. We were in Israel last year and we're at the pool of Bethesda and we're at other places with the wall of Jericho and there's a piece of it left. And I'm, I'm like, this is insane. How come people don't spend the time to investigate the story? Friends, if you investigate the story and you really believe that he indeed was born to a virgin, Mary, and that he indeed lived his life, and that he indeed went to a cross and was crucified, and three days later was raised again by his father, that should change us. The problem is, I don't think many of us really spend the time that we need to spend in the Word. At our faith, we spend time at everything else. And here we are, another Christmas. Another Christmas, this is great. And I'm not bashing the world. I'm not sitting up here today going, you know what, this consumer culture that we live in, yeah, it's an issue everywhere. It's in the church, it's outside the church, it's all over the place. All I care about is that you fall in love with this one Jesus. All I care about is that you come to know Him. And the power of his resurrection. That's all I care about this Christmas for you. And and finally, music team, you can come up. I think about, too, just how he he handpicked these circumstances. He handpicked them. He could have said, you know what? I'm not going to be born in some obscure village to some impoverished couple that they live on the other side of the world Maybe I'm get, you know maybe a thousand people will ever meet me. Maybe a, th- a few thousand people will ever hear me speak. But don't you forget, as you leave here, you leave this place today, that that name, because of that name, we have had more hospitals founded in that name, more schools have been started because of that name, more books have been written about that person. Nobody has written, no, no individual in history has had more books written about them than one Jesus Christ. He's worth giving your life to. So as we come to this table, we should come at the beginning of Advent. 
I ask, Lord, that you would give us an Advent attitude. That as we get bogged down with all of the responsibilities and everything that we're supposed to be doing and all of the parties and all of the gifts and all the cooking, I ask that this would be forefront in our minds about what really happened 2,000 years ago. It's not a fable. It wasn't a fairy tale. That this really, truly happened. And shepherds saw it and magi saw it and other people saw it and gifts were given and the world was forever changed. But it doesn't stop there. It stops here. Because without the, without the resurrection, what do we really have? Jesus would have been a great teacher, the best that the world had, has ever seen, but not enough to change our lives and, and, and take the, that, the sin that every single one of us are carrying. He took it all right here. He took it all. So, Lord, we come this Advent season. Lord, I come with a, an attitude of gratefulness and thanksgiving. I know we just passed Thanksgiving. But Lord, I'm just so thankful that you turned the world upside down. Lord, how did you do it like that? Why did you decide to do it that way? I don't know, Lord. As finite beings, we just have to take our hands off and trust you and know that you're good. Lord, we know, Father, in the totality of our lives, Lord, that we'll be able to one day maybe figure out and see what you were doing and how you were stretching things out and the tapestry of life and how you were molding us and shaping us and using things for our good, Lord. Those people that love you and are called according to his purpose, Lord, we know that all things work together for good. All things, not some things. Lord, I thank you that you handpicked a situation like this. Lord, I thank you that you weren't born in the cathedral. I thank you you weren't born to wealthy parents. Lord, I thank you that you did lay down your life. You could have called down legions of angels. But Lord, give me another religion. Give me another movement. Give me another system where the God, the creator, said, I'm going to come down and rub elbows with my creation. None we can find. Oh, we love you for that, Lord. We thank you. May we just bask in your presence, in your beauty and your wonder. Oh, Lord, may we see the wonder of Christmas this year. The beauty of that manger scene, Lord, the nativity scene. Amen. I just want to follow Pastor James for a minute. I don't know if any of you saw it. As I was walking out the door this morning, I had news on, and they had a, a manger scene I actually didn't get all the facts about where it was, but it was a manger scene. And in this scene, there was a, a very contemporary-looking couple. Who saw it? Who saw it? And, the, you know, the woman's got her, her shoulder, her sweater's down, and she's, they've got a, she's got a Starbucks coffee in her hand. And um, they're taking a selfie. And there's, there's the manger, uh, I mean, the uh, cradle with the baby in it, and taking a selfie. And I was listening to uh, the commentators be terribly horrified. And all I could think about was the Lord smiling. <laughs> Sorry. But I think Jesus would think it was great. I think that God scandalizes us all the time. Why wouldn't he think it's great? They were very contemporary-looking people. Selfie? Yeah. Do you think God doesn't know selfies today, that they're selfies? I just left. Um, if you got scandalized from it and scandalized that your pastor likes it, I'm sorry. But, but maybe it says something to us. 
maybe it says something to them. Maybe we're just too darn religious. And, and this story that we heard about this morning, just real quick as we go to this worship and we, and we go to this amazing table. We had somebody come to our door at 730 this morning. He was in our church year, many, many years ago. He was a student for Pastor Joe when Joe was in, back in the school. And he just wept and wept and wept. We tried to save his life. He was, in a, he was in a downward spiral, and nothing we could do. He was destroying his family, and um, we just couldn't stop him. As much as he loved Joe, uh, we couldn't help him. And uh, so suddenly at 7.30, Meg comes to us and says, there's somebody at the front door waiting, looking for you, 7.30 in the morning. So we go out, and we find him there with tears just running down his face. And he said... I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It was drugs, he said, and he he's just become real to me. Now he's real to me. The Lord made himself real to this man. I don't know. It was, I don't know how many years. What? And then Meg... Please, please. I don't share stories. Like, if you've ever heard me talk in this church, I don't, I don't think I talk like this. I'm driving... Uh, yesterday, I think about him. Yes. And I went back to, I'll give you the exact moment too. He drove us to the airport for a trip years ago. I don't know why it popped in my head and I just started praying for him and I always loved him. So when she texted me, I, you know, of course at the moment yesterday, I just, I had no idea, but when she told me that, right, my text was, yeah, interesting. Um, I just couldn't believe it. That was so wild. And how many times I don't listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but God was clearly speaking. And uh, one, one moment where I was actually obedient, too many where I'm not. But uh, just wild. You can't make that up. It shows you how real he is. So. Wild. That is wild. So as we come to the table, you know, sitting in a church like you do on Sundays, many Sundays, you're really in danger. It's a dangerous thing to come in here and sit here and listen week after week after week. You're in danger. I feel bad for us. Because you, you can hear these things and we can hear these things that we don't really even hear them anymore. If Jesus is just historic to you, but there was a time in my life I believed in Jesus. I believed he was a historic figure. I, I believed that. I believed he was born, stable, crucified. But there was a day that he became real to me. And he ceased becoming that little pristine manger scene. And that, that manger scene crashed into my world. And I realized he's not just a figure that lived 2,000 years ago. He's the same Jesus that woke this man up, that revealed himself to this man, broke into his life in the last, within the last few weeks took him off of drugs. It's dangerous. If he's not real to you today, then this is the Christmas season for you. This is the time to say, Lord, I do not want to be content with knowing you as some historic figure that I can say, yeah, I believe he lived at some time and even died on a cross. But Jesus today... He cares about those people with the Starbucks coffee and the, doing the little selfie. I believe Jesus was roaring laughing looking at it. I do. I do. Sorry, if I, but I do. So as we come to the table this morning, Father, we thank you for this word that 
once again, Father, help us to take our religious eyeglasses off. Father, you have more trouble with religion than you do with anything else. We think we, the worst place to be is to think you know and think you're seeing and to be blind. And you are the light that came into the world. And Father, you're the light that wants to come into our world. So as we come to your table today, we repent of our religion this morning. We repent of keeping you out there somewhere so that you can't commit, so that you, so you don't get too close to us and maybe demand too much in our, in, in our lives. Maybe there's things that you, you, we know that if we got too close to you, you would want to see changed. So Father, this morning, I just stand with James and Joe and stand here as, as leaders in this place and pray, oh God, for every man and woman and child that comes to this table this morning. If, if you are not, if you're just historic and you're not, if you're not real them in their, wor- in their world today, we pray that this will be the Christmas that will change everything. We release a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place today. Do it, Father, in your amazing name, Jesus. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.